So this morning, we're going to be continuing on the seven churches of Revelation. We're going to be studying the last three churches. And the way that we described this last week was, or two weeks ago, was seeing yourself within these churches, right? Because we can read the book of Revelation and we can read about these seven churches and, and kind of excuse ourselves from the moment and say, well, obviously this is to these seven specific churches and what does that really have to do with me? But the reality is, is that within these seven churches, I think we can find ourselves. I think we can see our spirit. We can see our attitude towards life and, and what is happening. And Jesus is writing through John to these seven churches to help them during these last end times. Let me just tell you, who you are and who you relate with within these churches will determine in many cases how you go through the end times. Right? It, will, it will tell you the struggles that you have and the things that go on. And so today, we're going to be studying the last three churches. This is how I related this a few weeks ago. Jude, our son, when, he, when we're going to tell him something or say something that he doesn't necessarily like, or he, he knows that he's going to get in trouble, we'll say, hey, Jude, can you look at us? And he won't turn his head and look at us. He basically just turns his eyes sideways and gives us a sideways glance. And this is exactly what I do. Kelsey will say, that is you, Blake Harkup. That is you. When, when he turns his eyes sideways and won't look at you, when you, he knows you're going to say something that he isn't going to like, that's what you do. And I, and I saw myself in that moment in a reflection. I go, man, I might need to change that about me, right? Because it doesn't mean to be disrespectful, but it kind of can be. And so what I realized is seeing my reflection in my son caused me to think about how I live. And that's exactly how we are to look at these seven churches. Now, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 1. We're going to make our way through the entire chapter today. But the very first church that we're going to find ourselves in is this church that I have described as the Church of the Walking Dead. Anyone ever watch that show, The Walking Dead? Now raise your hand. Now we know who to pray for. Okay, so... <clears throat> Gotcha. Right. But it's this show about the, at the end of basically days, there's a zombie apocalypse and, and this is how people deal with it. But when you think about zombies, they are alive, but inwardly they are dead, right? Like outward, they're able to walk and do all of these things. But the reality is, is inside they're not alive. That's exactly what the church of Sardis is in the Bible, that, that they are this church who outwardly appears to be alive, but inwardly are dead. And if we're honest and we read these words and we look at these words, I think that we'll see a lot of churches in our current culture. They look alive. They're doing all of these things that seem right and, and seem like they are doing exactly what they should. But inwardly, the church is dead. If you have a Bible with you, open up to Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write. We, we talked about this. This isn't to actual angels. That word means messenger. To the messenger, to the church of Sardis, write this. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, that doesn't mean that there's seven individual spirits. If you were with us in week one, this is a reference to the book of Isaiah chapter 11, where it talks about the seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit. And we remember we related that in the end times, just like the Holy Spirit was so intricately involved in the creation of the world, the Holy Spirit is intricately involved in new creation. That, that there's this new emphasis of what the Spirit is going to do in this new creation. So we're talking about the Holy Spirit. This is what the Spirit says. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive. How many of us know that not all of us, our reputation is actually what's actually happening in our life? Deeds there means your, your spiritual maturity, your, the works that you're doing before the work. He goes, I know that the, the deeds and the, and the reputation that you have spiritually, uh, and you have this reputation of being alive, but you are dead. What Jesus says is, look, I can see through the facade I can see through the smoke and mirrors that you put up as a church and, and I know what's going on that outwardly you are alive, but inwardly you are dead. You are the walking dead. He says this, wake up, strengthen what remains and strengthen what, it, what remains and it is about to die for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember therefore what you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. 
But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know what time I will come to you. He says this, so here's the good news. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out their name, or the name of that person from the book of life, but I will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, Sardis is a really interesting place. It's in Turkey, and it's actually on top of a large, small mountain or large hill. It's about 1,500 feet up in the air. This city was built on top of a hill. And what's really interesting about this city is that it was considered to be impenetrable. Because on three sides of the city were steep cliffs. There was no way to get up there but to climb a mountain. And there was one entrance into the city... And what would happen is, is these people would be in this area and, and they would, the only way to get up the hill would, you would see your enemy coming. And so the city of Sardis was really known for wealth, but they were known for pride. They thought for their entire life that there was nothing that could get them. That there was nothing that they, that the position that they were in in their life had enabled them and built them up into this place where nothing could come into their life. Let me give you an analogy of how to describe the church of Sardis. You know, in our world, the closest stars to the earth right now are trillions of miles away. Trillions of miles away. And so scientists had to create a way to measure that distance, right? Because it's not like miles or anything like that. Light years are extremely expansive areas. And so light travels at 186,000 miles per second. 186,000 miles per second light travels from, from one distance to another. And so in one year... Light will travel over 6 trillion miles in, in one year. And so when you and I look into the heavens, when we look at the stars, we're actually looking into the past. We're looking at, at, at something that 6 trillion or 10 trillion or 20 trillion miles away Something else is actually happening at that place. And so we're seeing a reflection of what is actually happening. So let's just give an example. Let's say that there's this star that's 30 trillion miles away. And let's say that five years ago that star died. We would not know that that star is dead for the next 25 years. For the next 25 years, we would look up into the sky and we would see and look at and think everything is okay out there. Everything out there is totally fine. That star is alive, but the truth is, is that it's dead. This is the church of Sardis. The church of Sardis is where we look at something and we go, it is alive. It is doing well. This church is thriving, but the reality is, is somewhere in the past it died, the light just hasn't gotten to us yet. How many of us know churches like this? Where it's like, you're still alive, but somewhere 15 to 20 years ago, you made decisions and you died inwardly. And now you're just maintaining to the end. But there's no, nothing going on in your life. How many of us, this can happen to us in our own life? In our own life, like there is this part of us that, that our faith died 20 years ago. Something happened to us as a kid. Something happened to us when we were in college. Something happened to us when we were in high school. And somewhere along the way, our faith died. But we have been playing church and playing life like everything is okay for too long. That inwardly we are spiritually not alive, but outwardly we make it look like we are. This is what's happening in the church of Sardis. This, this enormous distance like we would look out into the sky and not know what had happened there, but God knows exactly what has happened there. 
It's just like Matthew chapter 21, where Jesus is describing this fig tree. Look at what it says in Matthew 21, 19. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it and found nothing on it except leaves. There he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree withered and died. This is known as Jesus cursing the fig tree. Why would Jesus do this? Jesus is giving us an image of what it means to be inwardly dead, but outwardly to show like you're alive. See, when fig trees in the springtime, when they begin to sprout leaves, you know that summer is coming. And when they sprout the leaves, a fig tree is supposed to produce figs. And so Jesus is walking near Jerusalem and he sees a fig tree that has leaves on it. And so what does that say? There should be fruit on that tree. There should be some kind of life producing within this tree. And when Jesus gets to the tree, there is no fruit to be seen. Here's what Jesus says. You're outwardly appearing to be alive, but inwardly you are dead. What's interesting about this passage is understand that the Bible is not just a bunch of stories that that are scenes, but it's put together in a way. Jesus immediately then begins to go talk to the Pharisees. So Jesus gives this analogy about a tree who looks like it is alive, but is not producing what real life is. And then immediately he goes to talk to the Pharisees and he says, you have all this religion, but inwardly you're dead. This is the church of Sardis. You have all these rules. You have all of these things. You have, have this life that goes on and, and it looks like you are alive. But the reality is, is you're not. You know, what's interesting about this church is that in the history of it and in our understanding of the text, nowhere does it mention that this church is persecuted. Nowhere does it mention that outside of this church, the culture is coming against it. Nowhere in this text does it say that anything is happening with this church. Do you know why? Because you don't mess with dead things. Some of you in this room need to hear this word. Maybe you're not seeing anything spiritually happen in your life. And maybe you're not seeing any pushback from the enemy because the enemy knows that inwardly you're dead. And you're not spiritually alive. Why mess with something that's dead? Why mess with something that's not prepared? Why mess with something that that isn't moving forward in this life? And Jesus looks at this church and says, wake up for you look like you are alive, but you are dead. There's something going on in your life. So how did the church of Sardis get to this place? How did they get to the point where they were outwardly alive, but they were inwardly dead? Jesus begins to describe this in a really interesting way. Revelation chapter 3 verses 1 to 2. Let's go in a little bit closer. To the angel of the church of Sardis, write this. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. I know what you are doing. And you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. What happened to the church of Sardis? See, because I believe that God chose this church, not just because of their spiritual condition, but because of the history of what this church had gone through, this, the history of this city. See, what happened is, is Sardis had been conquered twice. Remember, we talked about it had cliffs on each side, except for one side. On the main side of the main road, there were people, uh, and, and people could come up. But on the outskirts of the city, on the edges, there were these cliffs. And so the people of Sardis thought this, I'm good. We're good. We don't need to worry about anything because we got all these cliffs on the side of us. And so we don't need to worry about what's going to happen, right? Because we are invincible up here. We, there, there is nothing that can happen to us up at this place. And so it stood on top of this hill and pride inwardly caused the city to die. Why? Let me tell you what one commentator says as he describes the history of Sardis and what happened to them. Despite an alleged warning against self-satisfaction by the Greek gods whom he consulted, Corius, this king of Lydia, invited an attack against Cyrus, the king of Persia, but was soundly defeated. So returning to Sardis, this king, he, he went to regroup and recoup and build his army so that he could go and attack them again. So they go up into their city. 
they start to regroup and they think, all right, we're safe up here. Nothing's going to happen to us because of the cliffs. Nothing's going to happen to us because of what is going on in our life. And so we're going to be completely okay. But the Persians decided to pursue the people of Sardis very quickly. And they decided we're going to attack them right away. And when we got to the city, what they realized is, is, man, there's one way up. But they found a farmer and a person who knew how to climb the mountains. And the person showed the Persian army how to climb the cliffside to get into the city. So the Sardesian king knew that the army of the Persians was outside of the city, and he went to bed. He went to bed. Because why? We're all good. Everything is okay. And you know what's crazy about the city of Sardis is that they would put watchmen on all corners of the city to make sure that nothing had happened. But you know what happened to the watchmen that night? They thought that they were completely okay, so they went to sleep. They saw the army that was around them, but they knew 100% because of where they were positionally that they were protected. How many of us feel that way in our life right now? Like when it comes to, to sin, when it comes to our love of God, when it comes to our family, when it comes to our marriages, when it comes to our finances, we think we are built on a city that is impenetrable. And you know what happens when you believe in your life that you cannot be overcome? is that you, you take the watchman off the wall. That's exactly what happened to the watchman. The watchman fell asleep and the Persian army climbed the mountain one by one. That's how slow it was. That's how easy it was. One by one, they climbed the mountain and came into the city. And when the Sardesian king woke up, he found that the entire city had been overtaken. And the city died. Why? Because pride had led them to believe that they were in a place in their life where nothing could happen to them. And so the enemy just quietly, not even having to do it quickly, because all of the defenses were down and all of the watchmen were gone, climbed the side of a mountain in the middle of the night and overran a city, all because of hubris and pride. The Sardesian church died from the inside. Because of what happened to them and what went on in their life, they allowed the literal enemy to creep in one by one because the watchman fell asleep. Let me ask you a question in this room. Are the watchmen still awake in your life? Are the watchmen still awake in your marriage? Are the watchmen still awake in your finances? Are the watchmen still awake in your job? Are the watchmen still awake in how you love and treat your kids? Because the moment you think that you've got it is the moment you don't. Because let me just tell you something. The enemy was really good at climbing the side of a hill. And for many of us in this room, the warning to the church at Sardis is a warning to us. What does Jesus tell the church of Sardis? Verse 2, wake up. He is referring to the history of the Sardisians. You need to wake up. Do you not remember what has happened to you in the past? The moment you took the watchman off the tower is the moment that you were overtaken. And you did not die from the outside for you allowed the enemy on the inside. And this is what Jesus says to the church of Sardis. And this is what he's saying to you and me. He says that there are churches in our world right now that are the walking dead. That outwardly you have all of the showings of being alive, but inwardly you are dead because you took the watchman off the tower. Right? Because how many of us have woken up at a point in our life, in a place in our life, where there's something that started innocently in your life, and because it was just innocent, it's not a big deal. And look how well I, I have accountability and I read my Bible and I do all of these things. And, and of course I'm okay. And of course there's not going to be a problem. And man, what's the use? What's the harm of replying to that text message? Oh, what's the big deal if I use the business credit card for this? Oh, what's the big deal if I fudge a little bit on my taxes? Oh, what's the big deal if I do this and do these things? And we take the watchman off the tower. And let me just tell you something. The enemy is patient. And before Sardis could wake 
up, they were already dead. And for some of us, we're going to be like the Sardesian king. We think that everything is good because a lot of us in this room know that the enemies that are surrounding you in your life, we know it. You know the things that have your name. Lust, pride, finances, greed, lying, whatever it is, you know it. Because I don't, I don't know anybody who blows their life up in one day. It's generally their life blows up over a million decisions that they made slowly. And this is what Jesus says to the church at Sardis. You are the walking dead. And so what does he say? Wake up. Get the watchman up. Wake up the watchman. You guys have been here before. You guys have lost the city before because the guys guarding the city fell asleep because you thought everything was okay. And so what does Jesus say? Wake up, wake up, wake up. Do you not know the enemy is coming over the hill? And I know that you thought you were okay, but the enemy will come and kill you from the inside because you've let your guard down in your life. Some of us in this room, is your marriage like that right now? Like it's, It looks alive, but inwardly it is dead because you stop trying, you stop pursuing, you stop talking, you stop communicating, you you stopped, stopped being there for one another, that you've lived very separate lives and the enemy just creeps in in your life. Or your finances, it's the same way. Right, You just haven't built these no moments in your life and you can't do this and you can't pursue that. And so you just kind of spend over here quietly and it comes in and it steals from you. What about your relationship with your kids or your parents in this room? Are you pursuing that still? Wake up, church. This is the message from Jesus. Wake up and get the watchman back on the tower. Here's what's so beautiful about this. Although the church is inwardly dying, Jesus says, there's still some inside who have not died. And what does he say? Strengthen what is about to die. So here's the hope for you and I. We may be the walking dead, but we believe in the God of resurrection, do we not? And so maybe you're in this room and you're like, man, I I can identify with that church. I feel like that's my marriage. I feel like that's my my faith right now. I feel like that's my finances. I feel like like that's all of these things. This is the power of God and the spirit of God whispering in your ear to wake you up, O sleeper. And it is by the word of God and by the power of God and by the spirit of God that he can revive and bring back what has been lost. And so what do you and I need to do? We need to respond to the whisper. We need to wake up to what God is saying to us. Because here's the reality. The end of that verse is this. If you have breath, God's not done. Even if it's the smallest amount of breath, even it's the most minuscule amount of that's inside of you that's still alive. Jesus says, feed that, strengthen that, encourage that, uplift that because he is the God of resurrection. And some of us in this room, you may feel like you heard this word from this church and you are discouraged, but this isn't a letter of discouragement. This is a letter of encouragement. And what Jesus says is, even if there's only a minuscule left, I can revive that. I can strengthen that. Because Jesus is the God who calls dead things back to life. And the same can happen in your marriage. The same can happen in your finances. The same can happen in your friendships. The same can happen in church, in your relationship with God. The same thing can happen for you. It's time to wake up, O sleeper. So then we move on from this place. And you know what's really interesting about these last three churches is that there's no warning of their idolatry. There's no warning of what has gone on. There's no warning of the false teachers because they at this point are either doing so well or so bad that they are overcome. And I want you to notice like one thing in these passages and in these churches is, is it seems like they're too far gone or th- seems, things seem like they can't get better and Jesus is still writing letters to them saying it can't. So if you're in this room, you're like, I don't know, like, this is, this is terrible, and, and I don't know what to do, and man, my life is hard, and all of these things, man, I, I can't do this. Jesus says, wake up. Whoever has ears, 
Let him hear the words to these churches. Because the words to these churches are also words to you and I. So then we go on to this little itty bitty church called the Church of Philadelphia. Philadelphia, you guys may know this. What's the nickname of the city of Philadelphia? The city of brotherly love. That's because the literal name Philadelphia is two Greek words that were put together. Phileo, which means love like brotherly love, and Adelphos, which means brother. So it's the city of brotherly love. And so Jesus writes to this church in Philadelphia, and it is honestly a teeny tiny church. Think about this. It's like a church out, like a little country church out in Arcadia. They don't have all the lights. They don't have all the things. They don't have all the people. They don't have all the stuff. All right, the, 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 the sound system still from 1902. Like, I get it, okay? And we all look at churches like that and go, man, bless you guys, you know? We're like, you don't have lights like this. Your pastor doesn't have a cool haircut like my pastor. Right, like, you know, we look at that and we go, oh, bless your heart. You guys are just trying. Right? The Church of Philadelphia has given the biggest encouragement from God. And they're the smallest church in the list. You know why? Because Philadelphia hadn't lost their heart. Philadelphia hadn't done all of these things. And in fact, this small little church in this small little city was used strategically by God to change cities around it. Because they were faithful. Because it's not how big you are. It's not all the things that you have. It's how faithful you are. And so let's look at what God says to the church at Philadelphia. Because he gives this word of encouragement. But let me just say this. The church at Philadelphia is fatigued. That's how I describe them. They're the fatigued faithful. Anyone ever feel like that? You ever watch the news or see something online or watch this church over there or watch this thing happening over here or you watch politics and you watch like what's going on and you're like, I am just tired. Can Jesus come back yet? Like, is anyone in here? Let's just be honest for a second. You don't have to raise your hand, but are you tired of living a holy life? Are you worn out? Because let me just tell you something. You know, salmon have to swim upstream to lay eggs. You know what happens to salmon after they lay their eggs? They die. They die. They don't like, oh, going to retirement, salmon Cabo, we're not going there. They die in a river where they were born. You know why? Because swimming upstream is fatiguing. Swimming upstream is hard. Swimming upstream is, is sometimes you're like, man, could the, could the river just switch for a second? And then there's bears and I got to swim up a literal waterfall. Who made this, right? Like who decided that I'd be born in this place? Couldn't I just been born like 10 feet into the river? But that's what happens. They get tired. This is going to sound weird. We're not going to make a shirt like this, but I want to be a salmon. (laughs) I want to swim so hard upstream for my whole life that I die exactly where God intended me to. And generations of people are changed because I made the journey. I'm not the biggest salmon. I'm not the best salmon. I just want to get to exactly where God told me to be. And that means this, I'm going to have to swim upstream for a long time. Are you guys ready to swim upstream? Because the time is now. The current is strong and we have to head upstream. Listen to what Jesus says to the church at Philadelphia. Revelation 3, starting verse 7, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? These are the words of him who is holy and true. This is what he's saying. He's saying, look, this is God, and he sees exactly what's going on, and he knows that you're tired. He knows. He is holy and true. He sees all things. Who holds the key of David. What does this mean, the key of David? What is the key of David? The key of David would be the one who has control of all things. He has the keys to the kingdom of heaven. So he says, this is who's writing to you. He is holy, he is true, and he holds the keys to life and death. Like, you gotta know who you're talking to. Do you ever pray in your life and think about that? I'm praying to the God of the universe who literally holds the keys to life and death, who holds the keys to eternity, who controls all things by his sheer presence and power. That's who I'm talking to right now. So he's reminding the church of Philadelphia, remember the God who you serve. 
What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. Here, same thing. I know how you have been living. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. That's what he says. He goes, I know exactly how you're living. I know exactly what you're going through. And let me just tell you, the enemy that is against you cannot shut the door in your face because what God opens, no one can shut. You get tired when you feel like the door on your life is closing. You feel like you get tired when you're walking in holiness and you feel like the door in front of you is closing. And the enemy is going to make you feel like that door is narrowing and it is shutting. But the enemy cannot shut what God has opened. And some of you need to hear this. And you can't open what God has shut. Some of you are tired and fatigued in your faith because you're fighting the wrong battle. You're figuring out all the time if there's a trap door in the river that you can get in so you don't have to swim upstream. You can just get down there, hang out, get to the end of the river and be like, hey, I'm here. God shut that door. He's called his church to be a church that swims upstream. And so what happens here is he goes, I have placed this door. No one can shut it. I know you have little strength. This is two things. I know you're small. I know that you guys don't have all the resources. I know that you don't have all of the people, but he also knows this. I know, and I know that you're getting tired. I know that you're getting tired. He says, he looks at them and he says, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, great way to describe a group of people, right? Who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. This is the same language that God uses with David in, when he's in the wilderness. And he says, I will set you on a high hill and your enemies will not be able to reach you and they will bow down. Same thing. I, 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 will, I, will, I see what you are going through. He says, that since you have kept my commands to endure, to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. We are going to go back to this verse in just a few weeks as we talk about premillennialism and amillennialism and all these millennialisms that you don't know. We're not talking about a generation. We're talking about what's going to happen at the end times. And then he says this, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. The new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There is no condemnation to the church in Philadelphia. They are small, but they are mighty. They are tired, but they are not overcome. And I want you to see that that, that idea of the, their name being written on the pillar of the temple was this. In this area of the world, if you were, and in, we do this now. Anyone ever seen a building where you have a donor or someone and that you put your name on the building? That's what this means in this idea. People of prominence who had, who had done well, who had, had made an investment, who had been faithful to the end, their names were inscribed on the pillars of the temple. So they understood what this meant. This means that you will be given a place of prominence. You will be given a place because of your faithfulness. You will see and you will move forward in this life. And do, not know, do you not know that I have not forgotten your viewpoint? I, I have not forgotten the work that you have done. And so th this is the shortest church to deal with because there's nothing bad to say but to keep going. Keep swimming upstream. Look, parents, I know you're in this room and every kid in the world wants a cell phone. Let me just tell you something about cell phones. How many of you get in trouble on your cell phone? <laughs> you don't think your kids are? And I know that some of you, like, buy a house every year for Christmas. For, like, what do you guys want for Christmas? My kids. I want a phone. You're 11. Who do you have to call? Nobody? Okay. Right? Like, why do, why do we need a phone right now? You're 11 years old. I'm like, but dad, like, my friend has this, and this friend has this, and they talk on Messenger, and they, you know, but there's, like, all this stuff, and dad, you can do this, and dad, and then I'm like, hey, sorry, it's a no. Like, don't ask again, and they're like, you're ruining my life, and I'm like, no, I think I'm saving it. 
because I am allowed to swim upstream for your benefit so I can take your hatred. I can take your anger. I can take your disappointment because I'm not going to give you over to something at 11 years old that you don't even know the monsters that are out there. Do some of us in this church need to hear this? You need to be willing to swim upstream in this culture and you can take the hatred and you can take the anger because you're doing it for their benefit. That you're gonna make your marriage work and I know that it's hard right now and I know that you don't see light at the end of the tunnel and I know you don't do all these things but strengthen what is already there. Why? Do you know how many marriages are in trouble in this room right now? Do you know how many marriages are in trouble online right now? You're not the only one, but some of us need you to swim upstream to show us how to get there. Don't lose heart. Don't lose strength. God has called you for a season like this, and his grace is sufficient to meet you where you are and take you to where you need to be. Don't give up. You're fighting an addiction in this room. You're you're, you're fighting against pornography. You're fighting against substance abuse. You're fighting against food. You're, You're fighting against something in this room. Do it. Keep going. Keep swimming upstream. Keep going and do all of these things because you may be cutting generational curses in your family. Keep being faithful. Keep going. God knows that you don't have a lot of strength. You have little strength, but he can get you through this. Because let me just tell you something. I don't think that when we get to heaven, we will look back and go, man, I really regret being faithful. You know what I mean? I don't know. I, I haven't talked to anyone from heaven yet, but I, I could call them. Hey, you regret it? You regret being faithful to the end? Yeah, this place is awful. <laughs> no. No. Same thing in life. Like, have you ever gotten to a place in your life, like anybody ever done like a a fast or a challenge or, or something like that, that you felt really called to do and it took hard work and perseverance and strength and you were discouraged and you almost quit a million times, but you didn't and you got to that last day and you weren't prideful, you were just thankful. Did you ever look back and go, you know what? I wish I ate 500 donuts over those last 30 days. I really regret this. Are you so happy? And you look back and go, man, what I'm experiencing now is so much better than those moments I could have given up. Marriage, kids, finances, life, church, participating in the church. Christianity is not a spectator sport. I don't know anyone who has been generous in their life, who has done all of these things with their time, their talent, and their treasure that has has gone back. And I've never talked to somebody at the end of their life because as pastors, you have the distinct privilege of being there at the beginning of many people's lives and you have the distinct privilege to talk about the end of their life. And I've never met in my short time of someone who was faithful to God. And when I talked to them, they said, you know what, I regret it. But I have talked to a lot of people who at the end of their days talk to me about the regrets that they have for the moments that they fell away. Praise be to God that even if we do fall away, he can bring us home. So if you're in this room, let's not live with regret. Let's move on. God has forgiven it. God has redeemed it. It is covered under the blood of the lamb. Let us move forward into what God has. So here we get to the last church. I call this the deceived church. This is a church who thinks everything is okay, but it's not. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, to the angel of the church of Laodicea. Right. These are the words of the amen. What does that mean? It's a word borrowed from the Hebrew, which means truth. This is the words of the truth, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation, Jesus. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot or cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, warm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Hmm. I'm about to sp- you say I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need anything. Here's what Jesus is saying. 
things without souls are never meant to satisfy things with souls. So many of us in this room, we've bought into the American dream that the dream is, is that you die with a lot of stuff. But let me just tell you something. You never see a U-Haul follow a hearse. You know why? Because we found out way back in Egypt that it doesn't go with you. Are we investing in things that are not going to go with us? Now, don't hear me, that you can't have nice things and you can't enjoy life. But make sure that you're not investing in things on this earth and robbing yourself of the next life. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need anything. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. This is what he says. Maybe some of you need to hear this in this room right now. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Laodicea was a rich city. The one problem that this rich city had was their water supply. There's two other areas, Colossae and Hierapolis, that were sister cities to this place. Hierapolis was basically known as a spa town. Like if anyone have hot springs in the place they grew up? If you have hot springs, what what pops up around hot springs? Hotels, resorts, right? Because you go to the hot springs, right? That's Hierapolis. They had this hot spring water that was full of minerals. Then you have this other city called Colossae. And what would happen in Colossae is that the the water was extremely cold. It would come down from the mountains. It was fresh, pure, good water. But the problem with Laodicea is that the water was neither hot nor cold. It, it, It mixed. And so what would happen is, is this city was just like Sardis. It was built on a hill. It was seemed to be impenetrable, except for one thing. They had to pipe the water in. They had to bring water in from aqueducts into the city. And what would happen is, is that water, the hot and the cold water would mix. And so you had good drinking cold water. And then you had water full of minerals that was hot, that was good for like relaxing and doing all of these things. But the moment that it mixed and came down the pipe, when the water came into the city, it was putrid, undrinkable. Person after person in history writes about how nasty the water was, right? We get this in Florida sometimes, right? If you have well water and you drink it, people are like, this this water tastes nasty, right? Because of the sulfur in it. We can relate to this, but what would happen in this city is that if you drank the water, it was putrid and it would make you sick and people would spit the water out. Why? Because the water in Laodicea had zero use. This is what God is writing to the church at Laodicea. He's saying this, you're just like the water. You have no use. Why? Because you're neither hot nor cold. You're deceived. You think that everything is okay. You think that everything is good, but you do not have love for me. And here's what he says. Do you notice that he doesn't say, and to the very few who are doing well there? Like every other place, he writes and says, to the places that are doing bad, hey, but to the few of you who are doing okay, he doesn't say that to Laodicea. What he says is this, you're a church full of people who don't believe in me. You're a church full of people who do not know me, but think that you do. And what Jesus says is, I'd rather you be hot or cold. Why? Hot, people on fire for God. People wanting to do something for God. People who are pursuing the Lord. God's like, I can do a lot with that. And then there's cold people, people who don't know God at all. People who are far away from him. But those people are reachable. Why? Because you realize how cold you are. You realize like, I, I, I am not there. I don't know God. I think the, some of the easiest people to reach in the world are atheists. 
I think the hardest people to reach in the world are people who grew up in the church but don't believe in the church, don't believe in God, but think they kind of do. Because they're the deceived church. They're the people who are, there's no real use of what's going on in their life because they are neither hot nor cold. Guys, I think that honestly, if I'm honest in this moment, is we kind of live in a culture like this right now. We are, we are a church that wants to be on fire for God, but we will bring in the world into the church as much as we can to water down and cool down the temperature. And what Jesus says is, hey, guys, I'm just going to let you know something. I'd rather you be hot or cold because there's no use for lukewarm water. This would be like I would describe this as the fence-sitting church. They don't make a decision. They just sit. They're kind of like, I don't know. I, I don't know if I believe in God. I don't believe in God. I don't know. I, blah, blah. And they, they're bringing in all of these things in the world and like, oh, you know, I don't know. And, and they just sit there. And Jesus says, there, nothing happens to the person who sits on the fence. You just sit there. And what he says to you and I is this. He says, it's time for you to get fully in or out. There's a pastor, we were at a, a, at a church a long time ago, and we were ta- the room was full to the brim, to the brim. And uh, I think Cody told me this story. And um, the room was so full that um, th- there was new people not able to come in. But what they had realized is, is the room was full of people, but only about 10% of the people were doing all of the work. The, the other people were just participatory. They just kind of came in, got their Jesus fix, and then left. And the pastor said this. He said, uh, if you're here and you're just participating, you're not, you're not, or you're just watching. You're not participating. I need your seat. I need your seat. Because there are people that are cold out there that want to, that the people who are on fire in here want to reach, and there's no room for them. What was he saying to them? Jump in. Jump in or jump out. Know where you stand, know where you are. And this isn't a word for you to discourage you. This is a word to encourage you, to call you to the other side and to say, get on fire for God. It's time to get on fire for God. It's time to go and reach the world. But this world that we live in where everything is just, oh, I don't know. And I don't kind of, Jesus is saying this, in the end, this is not the way to live because you're going to get pushed off the fence. Something's going to happen that's going to make you move one way or the other. And the reality is, is right now you have the decision to jump on whatever side of the fence you need to. And so what do we do? This is what Jesus says. Jesus says, answer the door. He says, behold, I, I stand outside the door and I knock. Is God knocking on your heart right now? And maybe you're not the church of Laodicea. Maybe you're not lukewarm. Maybe, maybe you're cold. Maybe you're hot. Maybe you're the church of Sardis and sin has creeped into your life. Maybe you're Philadelphia. Maybe you're just really tired. Maybe you're Ephesus. May, I don't know who you are, but the reality is, is Jesus is knocking on the door of your life. And he says, whoever answers the door, I will come in and I will eat with them and I will be with them. And so the question is, is like, where are you in your life? What do you need to do? The answer to all of us, whatever church you can identify with the most over the past few weeks, the answer is the same. Jesus is knocking. It's time to open the door. If you're tired in this room and you're tired of of living, you're, you're the church of Philadelphia, open the door and allow Jesus to give you rest. You're not sure where you are. You're lukewarm. Open the door and allow Jesus to ignite a fire in your life. You don't know where you are, but you feel spiritually dead inside, but you're appearing to be alive. Open the door and allow Jesus to revive what is there. Open the door. And so as we get ready to end, Cody's going to come up and sing. This is where the church in the series ends as we go into the churches. So we talked about this. The book of Revelation is what is, you know, what, what was, what is, this is right now. And then the next couple of chapters really from four to the end of the book is all about the future so we're about to like the next thing that happens is we're going to find ourselves in heaven 
right? Next week, we find ourselves in heaven. We find John receiving this, this word, but the reality is this. The rest of the series, it, it's really going to depend on how it goes for you with how you respond to this moment. How do you respond to this moment? Because he says this as he, as he ends this letter to the churches. Verse 21. To the one who is victorious, I will give them the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. And then this. Whoever has ears, let him hear. That hear what the Spirit says to these churches. That word hear means to hear and to do. To do something. Let him hear. Do something. Let hear. The hearing of what God says to these churches, the hearing of what God says to you right now is not just something to be listened to, but to be something that is acted upon. And so as we end these seven churches and we look at this, the reality is just all of us fall into one of these churches. We're all in one of these churches. And so what is God saying to you? For the one who has ears, let them hear and let them do something. Let them do something. Because the reality is this. The hour is short. The days are near. The hour has come. And it's time for us to go. It's time for us to step out. And I don't know what that means for you individually. But for the one who has ears, let them hear and let them do something. You know what's beautiful about all this? Is that Jesus never gave up on any of these churches. And Jesus hasn't given up on you. You may have given up on you, but Jesus hasn't. And so is he knocking on the door of your life right now? you in faith need to stand up and you need to open the door and you need to receive Jesus in in faith and to trust and believe in who he is that he lived for you that he died for you and he rose again and God doesn't make junk and so he's called you to an incredible life because the time is now and so please respond as you feel led. You can come down and you can pray here. You may need to write down what God has called you to do and just be faithful to it right now. But let me just tell you something about faithfulness. Faithfulness is not delayed. Faithfulness is now. So what has God called you to right now? To come forward, to be a part, to talk to someone, to forgive someone, to ask for forgiveness, to believe again, to hope again, to trust again in the Lord Jesus to at this moment to go from spiritual death to spiritual life because you believe that Jesus died and rose again for you and you receive that in faith today. All of us need to open the door today and hear what God has for us. Lord, I pray for every single person in this room, Lord, as we end this, this moment with these churches, God, I know that we're in them. One, we're in one of these churches. So God, I pray that you make so clear in our mind and in our hearts right now who, how we are to respond and who we are to be and that, Lord, the hour is late and the time is near. And so, God, you're calling us. You're calling us to be a part of your kingdom. You're calling us to be a part of this work. You're calling us. And no matter what we've done and no matter what's been done to us, you are a redeemer. And you can change all things and you can renew all things and you can restore all things and you can use all things. So, God, May every person in this room and every person listening online open the door of faith to you today to respond in the way that you've called them. God, we love you. We thank you and we praise you. In Christ's name, everyone said.